Let me read uh, our passages today from Galatians 5 and Romans 13. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And then from Romans 13. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this word, this your word, and we ask that by your Holy Spirit our hearts would be open. I ask for your help that I might speak your words, and that God, anything else that I might have to say of my own accord would be dropped by the wayside and forgotten. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Help us to receive it with grateful hearts. Amen. We are uh, we're almost through this series on the seven deadly sins, and um, gluttony is uh, is is an interesting one. Uh, again, as I've said every week, we have some dealings with gluttony in our day and time. And uh, I'm grateful for where I live. I'm grateful that I, I live here. We are surrounded by. Lots of beautiful things, amongst them are good food and drink. It's one of the things that you come to Asheville to do. Uh, when I have people come from out of town, like, what, what should we do? I'm like, eat? I don't know. Uh, if you're not eating, you're probably taking like a brewery tour or something. Uh, our lifeblood uh, as, a, as a valley, as a community, is often circling around good food and drink so that you know, I, most people I know rarely even visit chain restaurants. They go to like some newest small restaurant where they've like, you know, cut the tomatoes off the vine in the backyard or something like that. It's fantastic. I, I benefit from it. I enjoy it. Um, and gluttony is traditionally, classically, including the vice, the habit of drunkenness 
uh, as well. That's why you hear that multiple times in the passage that we just read. And we live in a place known for production of, of all kinds of different alcohol, which is delicious, tasty, uh, well-made, all of that. We, though, not just here, but at large, have an unhealthy relationship with food. We can see that in lots of different ways. But I, I really started to notice this um, when I married a farmer. Uh, I, if you're like me, I, my food comes from the grocery store. That's where food comes from. And I don't really think any steps before that. Where do I get my food? What grocery store do I get it from? And how little can I pay for it is really my predominant question. But when you get further up the supply chain and you see the cows that produce the milk that you drink out of those gallon containers, you realize how far away our food is from us until it comes into our grocery stores. And we live our normal in a way that looks nothing like the way that people lived in relationship to food for a long, 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 long time. So that now even my wife's family's dairy farm looks profoundly different than when her father and her grandfather started it 40 years ago. We have converted food into a mechanized machine process where far away, vast stretches of land are farmed as efficiently as possible so that as many people can eat as much as possible for as little cost as possible. So now we can go to the grocery store, and I don't think it's weird if I can buy fruit that should never be available to me, and no matter what season it is. But I expect to be able to go to the grocery store and get whatever I want, whenever I want, without really questioning it. And the only time I am annoyed about it is if it costs slightly more than it did before. This is unhealthy. People spend a smaller portion of their income on food now than ever before. And look, I have four children, okay? I shop at Aldi. I love Aldi. Aldi has saved our literal and metaphorical bacon many times, okay? Bacon. I need to be shopping like that, I feel like. I need to compress the amount, the percentage of my income that is spent on food. And yet, I am living as a human being in a way that's different than the way any other human being has lived for thousands and thousands of years. And we just accept that unquestioningly. And that puts us in a position to engage with our plates in a way that people have never done before. And really what I mean by engaging with our plates is generally not engaging with our plates. Gluttony, the, the vice, the habit, gluttony and drunkenness is the 
unthinking consumption of food and drink purely for pleasure. Not at all thinking about where it comes from or what results, but in the end, the moment becomes the end. And you give yourself to it, overindulging again and again, consuming what is easy to obtain and treating it as a thing that is just a thing that you control. Now, a lot of people have a, a different kind of unhealthy relationship with food. And you view it as kind of an enemy. You view it as something that needs to be tightly managed and controlled, where you are pushing against any ounce extra. Because the only thing that you interpret food to be is the thing that makes your belt tighter. And in order to control the way that you fit in with the way that you're supposed to look or to feel like everybody else, you have got to twist your mind through every single meal that you eat. And if you happen to wander just so far off of this very tightly managed corridor, you fall off into a pit of despair and shame. Some of you are so familiar with that dynamic because you have slid down that slope and abused your body in the pursuit of controlling the way that you consume food so that you might look and feel just a bit different than you do now. This, too, is a form of gluttony. Though you think that you're avoiding it, avoiding it you're running to the opposite. This comes from the same habit and disposition towards food and to drink. I must control and master food for my own good and end. Paul, in Galatians 5 and Romans 13 and numerous other places, lays out a different kind of life for Christians. And says that there are two ways to be in the world. One is a way that lives out of what he calls the flesh. And to be clear, he's not just talking about your body. He's talking about the natural way of being human. The way into which you are born that is separated from God. So does it include your body? Yes, absolutely. But he's also talking about the dispositions of your emotions and the habits of your thinking and all these things. And he says these are the works of the flesh. And he names all of these signs that the flesh is in control, the thing that you are living out of. And he's talking to these Galatian Christians, and he's saying, you are meant to live a different way in the world, a way that flows in its life from the Creator God who brings fruit out of you. And he describes these fruit of the Spirit. And if you compare these kind of vice and virtue list, you can see they are oppositional. They are antithetical to one another. You cannot be both uh, in self-control self and a drunken mess. Those things are at odds with one another. And Paul encourages that view. In Romans 13, he says, make no provision for the flesh. 
actively fight against what feels natural. What Paul and all of the Christian tradition after will say is, your appetite needs to be rightly ordered under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So that you can't, you should not come to an empty plate, come to any meal without seeing that very act as a moment under which you are under the care, the direction, and the blessing of God himself. And when you recognize that place as being under his hand, every single act of life takes on different tone, including the most mundane thing, eating and drinking. God has made you to eat. Do you think about that very much? I, I don't, to be honest. What I think about is eating. That's what I care about, especially around 5, 5.15 in the afternoon slash evening. I'm thinking about eating. God made you to eat, and that is worth thinking about. This is an, a, an area of your life that God has assigned to you. And so it can't be something for the person who is struggling with every morsel of food that they do or do not eat. It, it should not be something that you begrudgingly note about the world and fight against. You were made for mealtime. At the same time, it's very clear from the earliest portions of Scripture, from the very beginning, that God has your eating in mind. He speaks to Adam and Eve and says, look at everything that I have given you to eat. God is the one who provides at the table. Even if you are the one who's picking the food, butchering the animal, or just like me, going to Aldi and coming home and making it. God is the one who's flung wide his hands and said, this whole world is full of food for you to eat. The problem is not the eating. The problem is the appetite that masters the one that is eating. And as I've been thinking about this coming to here, I've noticed the way that my appetite masters me. Maybe you're better than me, so I'm not assuming, I'm not projecting upon you. Let me just describe my own experience. There are times in the day where I am driven by what my belly tells me. And I have no thought for what God has for me. What I have in mind is what I can reach for in my cabinet. Usually, my most favorite thing to reach for is peanut butter. I just love it. How quickly can I get in there and get a scoop or a dip, or, you know, there's a lot of different ways I eat peanut butter. And how can I give myself a sense of fullness? How, how can I fill up what is just like, look, I'll just tell you, this happened last night, okay? This is not, I'm not reaching for a distant example. 
My wife made a delicious dinner. I had a more than sufficient portion. And within 90 minutes, I was like, I got to hit that peanut butter. I did not go out and run between dinner and that hit of peanut butter. It just something in me said there's this little window, this little peanut butter shaped gap in my soul. And I need to fill it even though I have no need for it. And so I, I, I dip, I scoop, I eat. And I, I would wager maybe peanut butter is not your thing, but I would wager there is something like that for you. For some people, it is sweets. For some people, it's drink. For some people, it's a lot of different things. I can go down a lot of different roads. But you know rationally, I don't need this. But in your experience, what you say is, I need this. And if you're like me, that might be something you explicitly say. In this moment, I had a tough meeting. I had a tough day. I need this. And what Paul is saying is, you and I were born with appetites of the flesh that will come to master you. And you should make no provision for the flesh but instead be in control of those appetites and desires so that your life reflects a life who is under the direction of the Spirit rather than your belly. This is not a life of perpetual fasting. That's not what we're talking about. And this is a mistake that you can make. That God has wanted you to live a life of perpetual fasting. This is not me standing up and saying, like, everybody needs to be able to be one of those people who looks like they could get off the couch and run a marathon. Look, I'm a thick person, okay? I'm just heavy. I'm either, I'm either heavy here or I'm heavy someplace else. There's no skinny in this body. It doesn't work like that. People have different shapes and sizes and... That's fine. This is not a, a pastor telling you to work. Everybody got to have a six-pack because fail personally, okay? But our lives are meant to be mastered by the control and the lordship of Jesus. And you and I don't have to live a life of perpetual fasting. That's not what we're talking about. Fasting is an excellent tool to expose your appetites. During the season of Lent, I'm fasting from things. Maybe you are too. Some of you are fasting certain meals or certain things from every meal or whatever. And when you're in a season of fasting, it, it's uncomfortable, right? Because our fingers, the finger of God often is pinpointing portions of our appetite that are not entirely under control. A symptom of a heart that is not fully submitted to him. And in fact, God has made you for feasting. If you read the Old Testament law, a substantial portion of it is describing Israel's regular observance of fasts and feasts. 
So this is not the news of a God who is coming to squash your pleasure at the dinner table. What I would suggest to you is what God wants for you is better than what you are desiring and experiencing at the dinner table. What God wants and has made you for is true pleasure and joy. Not not in spite of, not somewhere other than the dinner table, but inclusive of your table, which you can only rightly experience when your appetite is not your God, but he is. Listen to some of the way, in the book of Ecclesiastes, this is just one, one example. Ecclesiastes, if you've read the book, is a lot of everything is worthless. It's just, it's all going away. It's all fleeting. And, you know, why pursue power, even wisdom, uh, knowledge, all these things. He said, these are all going to go away because you're going to die. That's basically his, his argument. It's pretty compelling. But he says, God has given certain gifts while you're in this life. And one of the primary things that he repeatedly talks about is food. So he says in Ecclesiastes 2.24, There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? From chapter 8, verse 15, I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and to drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of this life that God has given him under the sun. 9-7. Go, eat your bread with joy, which I'm excellent at. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. When Jesus comes, he hangs out with people who who are gluttons, who are sinners, and they're feasting and having parties all the time. And in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus names what they have said about him. The Son of Man is coming. You have called him a glutton. Why? Because Jesus is at these parties, hanging out with these people. These are the people that Jesus loves. God gives you good gifts. And the antidote to gluttony, the antidote to drunkenness, is not to say, I must never have any good thing. It is to lift up your eyes off of your plate and to understand that God has made you for him. And because he loves you, he has given you good gifts. And you are seeing evidence, sign of it, on your dinner plate. He knows that your life is hard. He knows that friendship is hard to maintain. He has made your mouth to taste good things, and he has prepared your belly to receive them. The problem is not the food. The problem is not the meal. The problem is your eyes. Because you and I never look up. And invite God to our tables with us. I find 
in my life and my family, we sit down and we get down to the business of eating and it is over in three and a half minutes. We're not going anywhere. There's, there's no race. And it's not other people in my family. It's me, okay? It's, it's I am leading. They are following me. We are hungry, and we shove it down our gullet as quickly as possible to fill our bellies. I'll tell you, for years, we did not even say blessing at dinner. That common Christian practice. We just kind of said, God's already blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Why am I asking him to bless me? Blah, blah, blah. Just didn't pray. Just sat down. Okay, go. And boom. Two and a half minutes later, it's gone. It's all gone and it's over. And, and we've now instituted a rule years ago in our family. No one gets to eat until the blessing has been said. It is agony. My children... Me, we are sitting at the table, utensil in hand, waiting for ready, set, go. And if any one of us, myself included, are late to the table for any reason, there is screaming. Because we can't eat until we say the blessing. We can't say the blessing until you get over here. Get to the table. My eyes are down on the plate to get it in as quickly as I can so that my belly will be filled. This kind of eating is the problem. This is where gluttony comes from. Because my eyes are simply on the pleasure of the bowl, the plate in front of me. My thoughts are all about the feeling that I want to go away inside of me. And I put my head down and I eat and I eat as quickly as possible until I finally notice, oh, I was probably full five minutes ago. I didn't even know it. But Ecclesiastes, indeed all of Scripture is saying, God has made you to invite him to the table to receive from him so that you would eat with joy. And when you and I are in a season of fasting, it is for the purpose of feasting. We are in a season of Lent. Why? Because we're moving towards Easter. Easter is the great feast day on the Christian calendar. There are 50 days of feasting in Easter. There's 40 days of fasting in Lent. That is on purpose. You were made for feasting with God. And so you don't have to fall off into either one of these dangers. You don't have to be mastered by your appetite and be mastered by readily available, cheap food that will just quickly, with little consequence, see in the short term, fill you with what you want. And you don't have to view your plate as an enemy that you have to constantly be suspicious of and to be pushing away and to be afraid of and ashamed of. Instead, you get to receive what God has given you, which is generous bounty. Eat slow. Take joy in the pleasure of the meal. 
Every single meal that you get is from the hand of God who loves you, who made you for this, and has created you to be able to experience the many complexities and pleasures of a simple meal repeated day after day after day, all the days of your life. That is how good God is. And God is the God who sat himself at the table with gluttons and drunkards. And so if you are here today and you are like me saying, you know what, I've put my head down in my wine glass. I have put my head over my plate. I have had eyes down meals and drinking times over and over and over again. And you feel the weight of that. You need to hear the good news that Jesus came to pull up a table with people like you. He knows that our appetites often master us and dominate us. He knows. And Jesus says, people like that are my friends. And so you may be caught in a decades-long despair. The dinner will ever only be a time of self-torture, either prison to your belly or a war against it. And Jesus loves you. You are his friend. And he will find you right there at that table. And he will say, the invitation is for you as well. What he has for you is better. The life that blossoms out from the Spirit is a fruitful one. And ultimately, the place where God is taking our story is to the feasting table. The end view of the people of God with our God is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there we will finally feel the full resolution of all of our appetites coming in focus. Finally free to be mastered by Him in a way that frees us and liberates us. When the weight of our desires will no longer be a battle and it will not be so hard to remember that our eyes should be lifted and we should see him at the head of the table, generous and good as ever he's been. We live forward towards that day. We come to this table to feast together on purpose. We come to feast together on Easter on purpose. God is going to liberate the world by feasting. And you and I were meant to have our lives ordered towards that end. If you are here today and you have been weighed down, this is a, a place of real sensitivity for you or despair, or maybe you've just been blind. My invitation today is, is for you to look up, to see the Lord to see his goodness towards you and his kindness. And to finally, honestly, offer up every single meal to, you, to him and give thanks. 
for what he's really and truly done for you. My other invitation to you is the table is a place of power. This table especially, of course, but your dinner table and mine is meant to have a seat open because the dinner table is a place where hearts are meant to be lifted upward and hear the good news that God would come and be seated with us. And if you know that your table is healthy and full and overflowing, you and I ought to be the people who pull a seat out for our neighbors, for those who are hungry for far more than what the table can provide, so that even for them, Jesus would come and sit and be their friend. We are called to be that kind of people as we move together towards our destiny the marriage supper of the Lamb, feasting without end in light of God's face, finally and fully free and full to the very brim. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We, uh, our, our appetites are all over the place, not just physically, but in all kinds of ways. Our flesh pushes us to do things that we don't even think about. And God, we are thankful that you would see people like us, wandering sheep, and you would say, these, these ones, these are my friends, these are my children. And God, I pray for people who are caught in the spirit of our, our day and our place, our time, who are captured by their appetites. God, we thank you that you have come for us personally. And I pray that you would help us to, to lift our eyes, to turn to you and to give you thanks. That even our plates would be a place of gratitude and to turn towards you rather than to turn away or to ignore Father, I pray that our, our tables would be a place where we can extend generosity to friends, to neighbors, to family members, that we might all celebrate together how good our God is. We thank you for your kindness, God. We pray that our hearts would be more and more free to respond to that kindness to enjoy it and to live a life that reflects that gratitude. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.